Okay, we're moving on to our Bible reading this morning, looking in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, starting at verse 26. As a point of reference, the representative from each of the 12 tribes has gone into Canaan and are bringing back a report. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And all, all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God bless the reading to us this morning. So we come to that point in the story of the Hebrew people where God has brought them to the border, brought them to the border of the promised land and told them to go in to take that land. But fear looms large, too large. And a lack of faith in God has led the people to say no when God is saying go. Sometimes we also say no when God is saying go. Fear often holds us back. Fear of failure, ridicule, embarrassment, fear of change. This may mean that we fail to walk in the blessing that God has for us. We want the blessing, but we don't want to work for it. We want the blessing, but we don't want to step into the unknown. We don't want to trust God for it due to fear. We want to know that it's going to be okay before we step across the line. And so we try. We're good at trying. We try to give God 
most when he's asking for all. And so we try not to get angry or we try not to gamble as much or drink as much or talk gossip as much. We try not to watch porn as much or we try to not to spend as much money on our hobby that has become our God. We try. We want the blessing, but we don't want to totally surrender to God for it. We lack faith, faith in God. We think we're going to lose something and so we desire what used to be. Or at least we desire for things to stay the same. We don't want things to change. And so we come to our reading today. The Hebrew people have come to the border of the promised land Moses had sent in the 12 spies. There was one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He'd sent them into the land to do a reconnaissance. In verses 27 to 31, we hear their report. And they report to the whole assembly, as many who were in earshot. And they showed them the fruit of the land, a large... A cluster of grapes and figs and pomegranates. And they say, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does, it flows with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And the people must have been getting rather vocal about this. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. The voice of the naysayers, the voice of the majority, the voice of reason, the voice of intelligent and rational thinking perhaps, the voice of logic and deductive analysis was louder than the voice of faith and obedience. Yes, the land is fertile and productive, but the people are so much bigger and stronger than we are. Fear took hold and the desire for what was familiar, what was familiar was more preferable, even though it was not God's will for them. Listen to verses 2 and 4 and notice both fear and a longing for the good old days comes out in verses 2 to 4. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only for us, it, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader 
and go back to Egypt. Fear of calamity, dying by the sword, of wives and children being taken as plunder, fear of the unknown, and a hankering for what was led the ten spies down a treacherous path whereby they exaggerate and they distort the truth. And they become a stumbling block to the path of blessing from the Lord. We need to be careful about our motives and about fear. And a longing after the familiar may hold us back from following after the Lord's will. Although Moses was their chosen leader by God, the people wanted to displace him and find another leader who would take them back to their familiar ways, back to the familiar days, back to Egypt. But as you sit here, don't you too wish that you could go back to a time that was better than it is now? We always look back through rose-coloured glasses and we imagine things to be better than they actually were. Because the truth be known, we weren't all that happy back then either. We just don't remember how dissatisfied we were. Because like the Hebrew people, we're mostly dissatisfied. It's very much a part of the human condition. Whatever stage or phase of life we are, we tend to be dissatisfied. But the Hebrew people wanted to go back. And I think, really? They wanted to return to a land that God had devastated with gnats and flies and frogs and rivers of blood and drought and hail and death. You want to go back to a devastated land? They wanted to return to a land where the people were still mourning the death of their firstborn sons. And who were they going to blame? They wanted to return to the same land that they had plundered the day before they'd left. Did they consider the welcome that Pharaoh would give them? I don't think so. They're not going to be welcome at all. Sure, they remembered the meat and the fish and the melons and the onions and the garlic. Did they forget about the slavery? Talk about rose-coloured glasses. We too may be dissatisfied at the moment But do we really remember how things used to be? Hasn't all of life been somewhat dissatisfying the whole way along? And we too should realise afresh that nothing stays the same. Change is inevitable. Change is a constant reality in this life. Nothing stays the same. To be healthy, we need to accept change and remain close to our God who never changes. And so what do they do? Will they return to their 
default position of complaint. Sometimes I wonder whether that's ours. Now we've noted again and again throughout these, these series this year, they're constant complaining. This time they're so unhappy that they're prepared to stone their leaders, Moses and Aaron. You can check it out in verse 10 of chapter 14. My guess is if it was you or I who had been Moses, we would have split. We're gone. We're out of there. See you later. I'm done. I'm sick of your complaining. But not Moses. He's overcome his discouragement that we were thinking about last week, where he was last week. He was so discouraged. He's overcome that discouragement. Once again, we see Moses reflecting the life of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As you continue to read chapter 14, you will again see Moses appeal to the Lord for leniency, asking him to forgive. And once again, you will see the Lord forgive the people for their lack of faith in him. You see, their complaints stem from their lack of faith in God. And it is such that God threatens to destroy them. Verses 11 to 12. God says, how long will they refuse to believe in me? He's talking to Moses. In spite of all the signs that I've performed among them, I'll strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they are. Here they were, a whole nation within sight of the prize. Yet in their faithless state, In their grumbling, they actually consider returning to Egypt might be better. A safer course of action, that would be better than trusting in, fully trusting and wholeheartedly in the God who had provided food and water for them where there was no food and water. In the God who had struck Egypt with plague after plague and the God who had parted the Red Sea for them. As they looked over the border, they felt small and threatened and their problem loomed larger than their faith in God. Often we face problems in life that we'd rather not. As I mentioned last week, every problem that we face has the potential to become greater than our ability to cope with that problem. Who then is greater than the problem? Who is stronger, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, to whom is nothing impossible? Who are we really putting our faith in? God or ourselves? And so who are the Hebrew people putting their faith in? Well, it's not God. But once again, Moses stands in the gap. And he prays. He appeals to God to forgive this stiff-necked people. He recognises that God is slow to anger. Verse 18, he is slow to anger and forgives sin and rebellion. And Moses asks God to display his forgiveness. What a challenge this is for us. All around us are stubborn, rebellious people. 
You only have to look at the news and you'll see the result of hard hearts toward God through crime, government policies. But are we praying? Are we asking God to forgive these people, to forgive our nation? And I wonder, is it because there are many people who are praying and asking God to display his forgiveness that this is why he hasn't destroyed us yet? And so what is God's response to Moses' appeal? God forgives the people for their faithless attitude toward him. He doesn't wipe them out, as he suggested that he might. And then he gives them what they're asking for. He doesn't actually let them go back to Egypt, but they're asking, we don't want to go into the promised land. And so he says, okay, your will be done. Your will be done. God forgives and then continues to bless the people with food and water for the next 40 years. He doesn't stop blessing them until this faithless generation has passed and then he has the opportunity to take his chosen people into the promised land. And so a whole generation cut themselves off from what God had promised. The good things that God wanted to bless them with in the land that was flowing with milk and honey, they cut themselves off from that. Fear of failure and calamity, fear of change, a a hankering after the good old days prevents them from walking in the full blessing of the Lord. All they had to do was trust him and walk with him. Instead, the voice of reason, intelligent and rational thinking, logic and deductive analysis, that was louder than the voice of faith and obedience. The Apostle Paul wrote about being careful how we look upon and judge one another. He said, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove that I'm right. And so there may be times when we make decisions that are not according to God's will. Because human logic is speaking louder than the quiet, still voice of God. And although we may not be able to trust our own judgment, I believe that we can still always trust in the goodness, the faithfulness, the mercy, the grace, the blessing of God. He promises to us that those who honour him, he will honour. 1 Samuel 2.30 So we may make poor decisions at times, but if we're still coming from a a heart that is truly seeking to honour him, then he will honour us. He will still bless us. We'll still continue to know his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, just as the Hebrew people did in the wilderness for 40 years. We often see it as punishment. God simply gave them what they were asking for. You don't want to go into the promised land? Okay. I'll still love you and bless you and feed you. 
But as we consider Moses, we see something remarkable. I think it's remarkable about who he understands God to be. Moses had witnessed the strength of God, the powerful hand of God through the plagues, through his provision for his people on numerous occasions during their wanderings through the desert. The strength of God was on display. However, long before Jesus had ever appeared on the scene, long before Jesus had lived and died to save us from our sin, Moses understood the real strength of God lay in his forgiveness. Verses 15 to 19, Moses says, If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, The Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, may the Lord's strength be displayed. Just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses is more like Jesus than most of us. And yet he never knew. Jesus hadn't arrived yet. Although the people want to stone Moses to death, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. May the Lord's strength be displayed in accordance with your great love. Forgive the sin of these people. Moses understood that the power of forgiveness was greatest by far than any demonstration in the physical form of God's power. God's forgiveness is greatest by far. Oh, to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like Moses. To forgive those who have hurt us. If you want to come under the blessing of God, then fully surrender to him. Stop trying. Fully surrender to him. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, also trust in me. If you want to know his forgiveness, then repent. Turn away from your sin, turn back to God. And if you're desperately wanting God to come through for you in some way, in some demonstration of power perhaps, I trust that you appreciate his forgiveness for your sin above all else. Appreciate his forgiveness for your sin above all else, above all other possible demonstrations of his power. After all, his forgiveness leads to eternal life. And he promises to walk with us through this life. Amen.